I'm Ashley Horn. And I'm Sarah Knight. And this is the Rooted Branches Podcast. Welcome back to the Rooted Branches Podcast. We are back with Ashley's cousin, Chuck Atkins, with more of his story for you. Hey, Chuck, thank you for joining us. Glad to be back. So, Chuck, last week we talked about your journey with alcoholism, and we kind of ended the episode at the start of your recovery. So let's pick up where we left off and jump right in there at the beginning of your recovery story. As recovery continued on, we were able again, like I said, to start celebrate recovery. It was just a, a beautiful journey. It was wonderful for Michelle and I, which is my wife. Our children grew up in it. I think it, it made them the strong Christians they are today, just to be a part of that. And we went through that journey. And, and along the way, the Lord was building my businesses. I was a real estate developer, and He was, you know, building that just by leaps and bounds, things were growing at a very, very rapid pace. So a lot of those blessings that the Lord had provided for us in turn were just being used to help a lot of these folks that were coming to celebrate recovery. You've got the guy or gal that's just getting out of prison that nobody wants to rent to. But here I am sitting on a aplex apartment building, it's half empty, going, you know, why, Chuck, would you not give them a second chance? The Lord would. And so I would, you know, and and to be honest with people, even working with felons like that and renting to them, I very rarely got burned every once really? in a while. Wow. Yeah, very rarely. And, you know, every once in a while, just like any real estate developer or landlord, everybody is going to have their turn. What's funny is he used it and I mean, and he used it in a mighty way. He, you know, he would take a, somebody to come out of prison and I would rent a one bedroom to him and then they would move into a two bedroom and then they would move into a home of mine and then they would end up buying their own home. I mean, what a victory to see these people come out of prison and then to work their way through that. And and just in the meanwhile, the whole time, God is just, I mean, literally just setting this business on fire and just blessing it beyond words, really. And I, and I think it's because we put him first in it. You had a giving heart. Yeah. Michelle and I, that's, that's what we wanted. It was like, the more we made, the more we wanted to give away. That was the fun part. We just enjoyed it, just enjoyed it thoroughly. And I think we were involved with Celebrate Recovery for about about six years. And then there was a change of, in the reins of the, of the lead pastor. And they actually offered it to me. But at the time, the business was just so huge that there just wasn't any way. And I just felt like the Lord was using the business as a, as a ministry anyways. So it just didn't make sense to jump out of the businesses and then jump into a full-time ministry role at the church. So it ended up going to the gentleman that's in charge of it now. And he's still there to this day. And then we kind of started to stray from Celebrate Recovery a little bit. We just got busy, got more involved in more of the social aspect of, you know, the building of the businesses and things like that. But we always knew where we came from and we always wanted to give back to the least of them, the ones that are the less desirable, the ones that society had kind of thrown away, you know, that that's where our heart always was. We just continued it on. Chuck won't say this because he's very humble, but... His businesses were wildly successful. In addition to the real estate holdings and flipping apartment buildings and things like that, Chuck also was an owner of car dealerships and he was part owner of an 
charter jet company. In fact, one of the last times he came to visit us in Kentucky, he flew in on a private jet. So it was just so amazing. He had such wonderful success and we were so proud of him. And one thing I can say, that level of success did not change who he was in the least. And that was one thing that I've always just been very proud of you. You were very mature about that. And one thing I talked about earlier was depression had kind of creeped back in towards the end of the business ventures. And I think that a lot of the drinking, as I look back over the years, a lot of that was to keep the depression at bay. You know, again, we call it self-medicating, but it's either over resentments or over depression or over something major like that. That's why we're doing it. You know, that's where mm-hmm. we're trying to numb that pain. And I think that a lot of that, I think, honestly, I struggled with depression because that's the, the big part of my story. Now I've struggled with that my entire life, but I was able to mask that when I was drinking. And then, then I was able to mask it with the businesses because of the success. Mm -hmm. I think I was able to mask it that way with the financial side of things. But when that all collapsed and when all that fell down like a house of cards, I was just left in that Valley, just me and the Lord and went through just a terrible, terrible time. I saw a wonderful quote from Heather Lindsay that says, if you don't get to the root of your issues, then you will continue to deal with the symptoms. The symptoms are only showing a cracked foundation that needs to heal. Just like what you were saying with the alcoholism, masking the depression, masking the resentment, those were the root of the issues. The symptom was the alcoholism. Right. We ended up in the end, we had a huge embezzlement that happened in our business. We ended up having to liquidate all of our properties and sell off everything to try to make things right. And it was just a terrible, terrible way to end such a beautiful thing that God had created. So there was a lot of questions there of why, Lord, why would why would you let this happen? But again, it was my giving heart. I trusted the wrong people and I trusted them in the wrong arena. And in the end, it cost me everything. I mean, it even cost us our personal home. It must have been devastating knowing that someone that you trusted could steal from you like that. Can you talk about how that made you feel? The process of forgiving that person Did you ever think about drinking again because of resentment that you felt in that situation? Did you remember your teachings and celebrate recovery enough to know, you know what, I'm not going to let this trap me. I'm not going to fall into this trap of resentment again. Yeah, no, I had them. I had them in that, but but I knew that I had to get rid of them and I knew that I could drink again and it scared me. I'm not going to lie. It terrified me that I could end up back where I was. Here we went from the mountaintop on the top all the way down to the bottom of the valley within just a year, hiring a team of attorneys to help me and fight these battles and and just fighting that day in and day out and not drinking, never, ever going back to the alcohol, always staying sober, never going back to that to ease the pain, just trusting the Lord to walk side by side every day with me. And I lost all the worldly stuff 
But I got to keep the most important things. And that was Michelle, my wife, Mm -hmm. and my three girls, Mm -hmm. and my family, and my relationship with Christ. Nobody can take those away. Nobody took those away from me. And especially my relationship with Christ came first, you know, and then Michelle and the girls. But nobody took any of that away. So I lost the worldly stuff. I lost it all. But... The most important things that we have in our lives that I think that we lose focus of, I did not lose. I got those. Those are still in my life to today. And I'm so grateful and so thankful for that, you know, and so blessed that because it could have been like the story of Job. You know, Job lost everything financially, but then he also lost his family, Mm. you know. So I felt like, okay, Lord, you you took the financial side of things, or I don't know if it was the Lord, but it happened. He let it happen. He allowed it to happen. Uh, He allowed it to happen, but he did not take my family. So I was so grateful that, but still, what a journey. There was people that joked that I was living the modern day Job there for a while when I was going through it. But I said, there's no way I'm even close. I still have my wife. I still have my children. I don't see the Lord taking them. But I think that's important for people to know that this worldly stuff that we think is so important, you realize how unimportant it really is. You can always make more money, but you can't replace your family. Paul says in Philippians chapter four, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me to find Mm -hmm. contentment and to be able to focus on the good. We've talked about that in previous episodes Mm -hmm. to be able to find joy in what you do have because you can have plenty you can have nothing but the true joy of Christ is something that cannot be taken away we've said it before like you can have all the material things in the world but you can't take it with you first Timothy 6 7 it says for we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it that's right my dad always says, how many U-Hauls do you see behind our hurts? Yeah. You know, and, and it's true. We just don't take this, what we think is so important, this worldly stuff with us. I'm not trying to minimize it because I know the pain of losing all of it. I didn't run up and right. down the streets rejoicing. I'll be honest with you. It hurt. Mm-hmm. It hurt yeah. because it was more of a ministry than it was really a business. Mm-hmm. And I think I think that's what hurt the most. It's like Michelle tells me now. Bless her heart. Chuck, you can still love people and minister to them without doing it the way you did it before. And she's right. You know, it doesn't take money to love somebody and to minister to somebody. But he had used that for so long and it was tough. It was just brutal to walk through that and not have that ability anymore to help at the level that we were helping at. Finally, here a couple of years ago, my body just said, we can't handle any more Chuck. And it just took a nosedive that was unbelievable into a dark place that I never dreamed that I would go to. I was diagnosed with major depression disorder. Where was your mind versus where your body was? When your body just like shut down on you, were you in a bad place in your mind? No, I mean, it was actually kind of funny. I'd actually started to rebuild a little bit, was actually redoing some homes, flipping, as they call it, in a town about two and a half hours from Casper. And so I had taken up 
I had borrowed an RV to live in up there to be able to work on this home and to to fix it up, to resell it. I was just starting from the bottom again, trying to work my way up. And you would have thought I would be on top of the world, you know, starting over, things were good. And I was sitting in that RV one night, darkness just just came over me and it was just unbelievable. It was, I, I mean, it's beyond words. And, and unless you've been there, and I know there's many out there listening that have, unless you've felt that deep, darkness, almost like you get it on you and you can't get it off of you. It's just a terrible, terrible thing. And it hit me so hard that cried myself to sleep that night. And that next morning I got in my vehicle and drove straight back home. I was so scared of what is going on, what has happened here. And that was when my body just finally just gave up and just said, because your body will finally do that. It'll finally say, we just can't handle this any longer. We can't, we can't handle the stress. We can't handle the sadness. We, we're done. It's what had happened that night. And then, and that's when my next journey really started was how now do, do I heal myself up and, and how do I get better? And how do I do this as a Christian? And how do I do this in sobriety? Because so many, you know, oh, he's taking medicine, or maybe he shouldn't be doing that. I mean, it's all this nonsense that we have around mental illness and around depression. I think that was to show you the medical nature of depression, because mentally, you could say that you, you were getting to a better place. But I think it hit that way to show you, you're not crazy. This is not in your head. This is a real physical issue here. And in some ways, maybe that make you feel better knowing that it was a medical thing? Or... Yeah, I mean, because uh, I definitely know that now. I had dealt with some anxiety in my life and some things when I was in law enforcement and had had some medicine prescribed to me for anxiety because of job and on and on. You know, that was all during the drinking period, you know, so here I am popping anxiety pills and drinking on top of it. That was a real good one, you know, very dangerous. And, and many times I wonder why I didn't die. So I, I was familiar with maybe those drugs or that thought pattern of mental illness, but nothing to the level that it hit that night when that darkness came over me that, you know, like I said, it's like I got it on me and I couldn't get it off of me. And I knew Jesus was there, but it was so hard to, to even fill him at all. And I thought, this has got to be what hell feels like. Total separation from God. I know I didn't have total separation. I know that he was there. I wouldn't have made yeah, it. You just but, didn't see him proverbially in that moment. Right. It just, it was just so dark, just so dark. And that's kind of when that whole journey started, you know, of trying to get better and trying this cocktail of medicine and this medicine and that medicine and this book written by this Christian that struggled with depression and on and on and talking to this pastor and this counselor and this Christian counselor and this psychiatrist and that journey of a Christian fighting diagnosed major depression disorder, actually mm -hmm. diagnosed just as a whole different world for a Christian, a kind of a scary world for a Christian, I think, because we're relying on doctors, we're relying on medicine, we're, we're relying on counselors, we're relying on psychiatrists. Everybody says you got to be careful with that because they're playing with your mind. So you're nervous. And I, and I really don't think scientists even now have even begun to grasp what causes this mental illness and what causes this depression disorders. I don't, I, I think we're just on the 
cuffs. Uh, there's a big difference in being blue and being sad for a while and being down mm-hmm. than having major depression disorder to where you're in this dark place for months or if not years. And it's just brutal. I don't think there's anything that's more torturous than that pain that you feel when you're struggling with that major depression disorder. And and we've seen that even in the Christian circles, how many Christians that we know that have taken their lives. It just put me in a place that where I could finally understand as crazy as this sounds as a Christian, I understood why people gave up. I truly understood why they gave up, and it gave me a whole different perspective on depression and mental illness. And we were talking about the alcoholism and drinking as a Christian. Now we're talking about the depression and how to deal with that as a Christian. And we all know of people, even in ministry, that have taken their lives. The statistics tell us that every 40 seconds, sometime somebody in this world takes their life. Every 40 seconds. That's a real big problem. Now that I've gone through that and the Lord has put me in that spot, but he's never left me. He's never forsaken me. Even though at times I couldn't see him there, it was so dark, I couldn't see him, but I knew he was there and he he walked me through it. But he said, you know, I want you to use this so that you can help other Christians or even non-Christians that are struggling with terrible major depression disorder. This pastor that took his life here recently, it's absolutely mind-boggling when you think about it. A believer in Christ could get that low and be in such a dark place that they felt like that was their only hope and solution was to take their life. It's beyond words. I wish I could put it into words, but I... I can't. And I'm not a doctor. None of us are that are talking. We're just talking, you know. I remember in law enforcement working suicides, I worked several when I was in investigations and I, I worked many suicides. And I would always ask myself, why, 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 you know, why would they do this? Why would they do this? Why would they do this? And I never could understand it. Well, I never wanted to understand, but God, he let me understand. He let me feel that total hopelessness that that we should never as a christian feel you know that darkness and that just terrible place i understood i hate to say it i mean because it, it sounds like well you don't sound like a very strong christian chuck it had nothing to do with that my walk with the lord was solid i mean i i had searched my heart and i had looked for any sin in my life and and now I do believe that sin can create depression, a major depression disorder. But I knew for me personally, that's not what it was. It had to be chemical. It had to be something in my, you know, that had happened because of what I had gone through. Especially because you were at a pretty good place mentally. Like we've said before, there is a physical clinical condition of, called depression. Then also sometimes depression can come from spiritual places as well. Sometimes can go hand in hand. Sometimes the enemy knows that you're vulnerable in that area. So he will use that against you. He will put that fear in you. Yeah. The enemy is constantly using fear in my life that, that the medicines will quit working. Um, and, and I've had, I've had what I would call relapses in depression. Um, let me make sure I'm clear on that. Not relapses in my sobriety, but relapses in depression. I I call that a relapse as well. When 
you're in a spot where you are better and you're feeling better, but then you go back into that dark spot and the crying spells start again where you can't control them and you don't know why they just come on you and you just cry for no reason. And it's just craziness. I, I think the devil uses that though. That And so that's what I've done to battle the enemy is, you know what? I'm not listening to you. I know I have my daily bread for today. I don't feel that bad today. The Lord has used either his miraculous powers or his medicines that he created or his doctors that he created. And I'm okay with that. And I'm going to run with that today. And then we'll worry about tomorrow when tomorrow comes. And I think so many people that struggle with major depression disorder, that's what happens is they fall in that vicious, this is never going to get better. And, and let me let me tell you, don't give up. Don't give up. Talk to somebody. Speak to somebody. Let somebody know how bad you're hurting. And be that person on the other end that's not struggling from major depression order. Keep your eyes open for people that you see that are struggling, that are sad. And they, believe me, they're good at hiding it. They're good at bluffing. I'm good at it. I'm good at saying I'm, I'm perfectly okay when inside I'm dying. So as Christians, we need to ask the Lord to make us aware of those situations where we come across people's past, where we might have that one word that we could speak into their lives that might keep them from doing that ultimate sacrifice of taking their own life. Like I said, the, the stats tell us every 40 seconds, somebody in this world takes their life. And it, that is just That's completely... It's mind-blowing. And if somebody out there that's listening today is in that dark place, please get help. Please yeah. reach out to the doctors. Please reach out to the counselors, the psychiatrists. God created those people to help us with his medicines that God created. He created those minds to make that stuff, to be able to help us, not to harm us and to hurt us. I have never taken anything that has harmed me. There might be some side effects that come along with it for a little bit, but in the end, God has used it to help me. And I just want people to know that they just got to reach out to somebody and let them know they need help. I need some help. And I did that. I reached out to a lady that I knew worked on the, on the psychiatry side of things. And my journey started with her and she's still in my life. And she was a godsend. She helped me along my journey, you know, to find the right medicines and to find the right treatment because Adam and Eve made their choice. And from that day forward, we lived in a sinful world. And I know that's what causes these diseases and causes this sickness. But even though it's ugly and it was meant for wrong, you can take it, make it beautiful and help somebody, Lord. And so use me for that. And and, and that's my prayer that, that he will. Depression part of things is the new part of my story. I thought I was done after the alcoholism and getting through recovery and that, but, but I wasn't, you know, God had different plans and, and I just want him to use this depression and this major depression disorder. He can turn it around and we've got a lady here locally in town that lost her son to suicide and her whole mission has been to help people. And she has, I mean, thousands and thousands she has reached for helping people in suicidal situations. And that's been her journey ever since she lost her son to suicide. And, you know, but that's what we, that's what we have to do as a community and as a church and as people that don't have to struggle with these diseases and these major depression disorders, we have got to 
be aware and be on the front lines and be there for these people and love them and let them know there's hope. There is hope. There really is. Even in that darkness, I can look back now and, and God would show me that I'm still here. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I am still here, even though at the moment I couldn't feel it, but I can look back now and I can see it. And I just want people to know that, that there's hope. There truly is hope out there. Well, and that makes your ministry so much more powerful because Sarah and I have never experienced depression like you have, but you can look at somebody. You can say, I understand. I've been there. You know how to pray for them. You know how to support them. You know how to talk to them. And that is why I say that your story is so powerful because you've lived it, you walked it, and you know what got you through. Right. Right. Exactly. And, and that's it. And there's no doubt in my mind, I would have never made it. I made it with Christ and I'm not through it. I still am on the front lines with it every day. I'm still <clears throat> having to take my medicines and go to my doctors and my counselors and trying to change thought patterns in my life and working on things and reading about it and educating myself on it. It's not over. I think it will be with me for the rest of my life. It will be a battle that God and I will have to fight side by side together unless he chooses to heal me. And I know he could. He could heal me completely. But if he doesn't, I know that he's going to be there to fight this battle with me for the rest of my life. And, you know, being on the front lines of this every day, I'm so aware of people around me that are fighting it now. And I pray for them and try to love them. Because when you're in that spot, all you want to do is hide. You want to isolate. You don't want to be around people. You, the old saying, you fake it till you make it. It's so true. Somebody can look at you right to your face in your church. You ask them how they're doing, and they'll tell you, I'm doing great. And inside, they are absolutely dying. Yeah. Even though I've started to recover some with this disorder, I'm involved with a small group Bible study for men. And I'm, I'm hit and miss. I'm there one week, gone the next, because I, I don't want to go. I want to hide. I want to isolate. I don't feel good. I feel sad or whatever. Going to church can be an absolute battle for me. I absolutely love my church. I love my pastor. I love everything about it. But I, it can be the most, it's unbelievable. I, if I can make it through church without crying, it's a victory for me because my emotions I can't control. When you, when you struggle with major depression disorder, you get what's called crying spells, and it just they just come out of nowhere. And then you literally just cannot control them. So you get to a point where instead of being in public and that happening and being embarrassed – even though we shouldn't be, we're in our church for crying out loud. These people love us. You know, they're supposed mm -hmm. to anyways. And I shouldn't be embarrassed, but I am. So then I hide at home and I won't go to church for two or three weeks because I'm afraid I'm going to have a crying spell. I jokingly told my mother today on the way home, I made it through church, mom. But once I got in the car, I started crying, but I made it through church. So, you know, that that's the kind of stuff that people with major depression disorder are dealing with on a daily basis. That's why they want to isolate. That's why they want to hide. They don't want to be embarrassed. They don't want to have one of those crying spells in front of somebody and then People be going, what is wrong with you? Especially men. Men are supposed to rub dirt in it and be tough.
No, we're not supposed to cry. My girls have seen me cry more than, oh my goodness, fighting this battle. And I'm okay with that. You know, it's okay for them to see that. It's okay for them to know that dad's hurting tremendously so bad that this is the only relief he can get is to let it out this way. I'm not going to lie. It makes you isolate. It makes you hide from people and not want to be around them because you don't want them to see that side of it. I know that Mr. Rogers says that people have said don't cry to other people for years and years and all it has ever meant is I'm too uncomfortable when you show your feelings. Don't cry. I'd rather have them say go ahead and cry. I'm here to be with you. Well and I think you said that sometimes people were wondering where you were. They don't understand. Well, that's it. My traditional 12-step program, I didn't, I went two or three days a week up until about two years ago, a year and a half ago when the depression got really bad. And I have hardly been back to any of those meetings since then. Now, is that good for me? No, that's not good for me. I should be back amongst the people that love me. I know they love me and care for me, but I'm the one that's isolating, see? And and it's not them, it's me. So it's baby steps right now. I, I mean, just doing this podcast with, with you ladies, is this is a huge step for me. You know, this is the first time I've shared this part of the story. I've shared the other part in many settings, but not the depression part. Well, yeah, and and we realize the magnitude of this, and we thank you for being vulnerable and being real. So do you feel like, as someone who doesn't have depression, for me, what could I do to help you? What would make you feel the best if you're in those situations, just being there with you? Uh, is there something that I could say? What? How do you feel that people should respond You know, it's funny because it's actually like alcoholism. Until you've been an alcoholic, you really don't understand it. And I think until you've had major depression disorder, it's hard to understand because one thing you can do is just don't give up. If it's a family member, if it's your husband, if it's one of your children, if it's an uncle, whatever it is, don't give up on them because I have laid so much on Michelle and she has always fought toe to toe with me through this, through these battles. But some days I feel like she just wants to go forget it. I'm done with this. I'm tired of this. I'm tired of you being depressed. I'm tired of you being sad. That's just normal. People can only take so much of that. Just remember that. Don't give up. Don't, don't say I've had enough. It's like we talked about that friend of mine that really thought he was doing me a favor by screaming and yelling at me one day and cussing me out and telling me to pull it up by my bootstraps and to get over it. And that was ridiculous now. And I know that now and I forgive him for that because he had no idea how to deal with somebody that was struggling with major depression disorder. That's all he knew was just be tough, be a man, knock it off. And what's wrong with you? And I wish I knew. That's what I told him. Yeah, in the end, we can't fix people. We should right. just be there to support them and to help them. With Michelle, um, you know, we had been married 29 years this last uh, June 4th. And we have literally lived all those vows that we took in front of God. We we did the poor, where the riches, the poorness, the health, I mean, all of it. We've we've walked through all of it together. And, and I'm just so grateful for her uh, that the Lord gave me her to to be by my side through all this. He knew 
from the time I was in the womb and by the, in the time she was in the womb of her mother, that he was going to have us together for this reason and, and her support and, and what she's done through this, you know, but we've literally lived them all. It's just so neat that, that even though through all that, that's a testimony in itself that you don't have to give up in your marriage, that you can stick it out and tough it out and work it through and get through it no matter what it takes. So is there anything else still on your heart you need to say, Chuck? If anything, just letting people know their love. Reach out, even if it's emailing us, and we'll point them in the right direction. In my heart, that's what I want the most, is just want somebody that's going to give up not to give up. You may be in the darkness or that dark night of the soul, as Chuck refers to it, but just know that there is a light. You may feel like you're all alone. But one thing that our friend Carla, who spoke on the episode we did earlier about depression, she said, find that tiny little light. She told a story about a time when she was lost in the woods. They had been hiking and they thought they knew their way back and it started to get dark and they were searching and searching. And she said, I saw this tiny little glimmer of light and she said I don't know what that is but it is light it is coming from somewhere let's go towards that and they went there and it turned out to be some campers who had a campfire and she was just so so glad to see another human and they were able to help get them out of the darkness so just like Carla did in the natural and just like she has done because she relayed that with her depression she said find the light I'd heard an analogy that said sometimes you may be in the darkness and you may not see God. You may not feel God there with you. Say that you're in a dark room and you turn on the light. He was standing there the whole time. It was just so dark. You could not see him. Know that you're never alone. He's always with you. Jesus understands your pain. He understands the grief and anxiety that you are feeling. Don't give up. There is hope for you. There is a way out of this. Jesus can walk you through this valley. He can lead you through this. I've heard it said that suicide is a very permanent solution to a temporary problem. Please do not give up. There are people who love you, who care. Share with them how you're feeling. Whether you call the suicide hotline, whether you confide in a friend or a pastor or a spouse, please reach out to someone. That's the most important thing. There is hope. There is help. I agree. The suicide hotline number is 988. Please dial that if you need help. Just can't say it enough that that's the case. And and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the suicide hotline. That's a very great tool. Those folks are there to help. They care. They'll point you in the right direction. There's so much great medical help out there now that I think a lot of people just aren't aware of. There's new drugs every day coming on the market that are helping people with depression, changing. We're not using the, the same old stuff that we were using 10 or 15 or 20 years ago, that that the science is actually growing and, and they're learning more and more about how this brain of ours works and, and why some people struggle from this so much, what's causing that struggle and what can help. But again, if you don't let somebody know and let somebody in and you sit in that darkness by yourself, it's just such a dangerous place to be. Don't let the darkness win. 
No. When I was there, I let Michelle in and she was there with me. And I still have separation anxiety. Like, like if I have to go on a business trip now and leave for a week, I have separation anxiety from her because she was the one that was there through all that ugliness. I mean, I'm still, and that's what I want people to know is, is here I am talking with both of you, but I'm still on the struggle and right on the front line myself, you know, fighting this battle as a Christian in that realm of doctors and medicines and stuff like that, but still, still right in the middle of the struggle. Like you said, and I've said, and Sarah said, start to walk that journey. Don't hide. I know, I know what that's, I know what that's all about. Isolating and hiding. We've got be fed somehow through his word. If it's just listening to it, maybe reading it, having somebody else read it to us. I've had Michelle read the word to me on days where I couldn't read it myself. I've had my mother send me scriptures over text one right after another, after another, you know, on bad days. And that's how I was being fed because I couldn't feed myself. I was so weak. But yet the people that loved me were feeding and helping feed me. During our episode on anxiety, my cousin Abby said that worship was one of her biggest tools because when you are worshiping God, you have your mind on God, you're thinking about the good. If you're dwelling in that light, the darkness can't consume you. See, that's what people don't really think about a lot of times is darkness is simply the absence of the light. Yes. So I loved what Chuck said about being in the word, being in God's word and praying without ceasing. And he talks about when you're walking in the darkness, that that is so important to do. And it says in Psalms chapter 119, verse 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. When you are walking in darkness, his word can be the light for your path. And it's just so important to remember And even though it might be hard to do, and I know he said that it's hard to even sit up, brush your hair, whatever, whenever you're going through the depressive state, it might be hard to pick up your Bible and read it, but it is so important to stay in the word because he can be the light and the darkness for you. Yeah, no, you're, you're exactly right. And it it is hard. Like you said, sometimes it's hard to even get out of bed and brush your teeth or take a shower, but you've got to continue to pray. Never stop. You know, in the midst of when you're fighting a major depression disorder and you're in the midst of that, the devil, obviously, it's his playground. And he's trying to just take over. He's trying to get you to where you don't pray. He's trying to get you to where you don't read your Bible. He's telling you that it makes you sad to pray or it'll make you more sad to read your Bible. And and it might. That's the crazy part. That's what major depression disorder can do to you. But in the end, I can say without a shadow of a doubt that I did not cease praying when I was in the darkest times because I was so scared that I I did not cease. And sometimes it might've just been a moan or a groan and the Holy Spirit would speak Mm -hmm. and pray for me. There was times where I felt like the Holy Spirit was praying for me, but I was continuously, continuously, whatever I could get out to just 
keep that line of communication open with Jesus to know that I need you. I need you desperately right now. And to try to get in his word before depression, I might read two or three or four or five chapters. If I could get one chapter out or even just a few verses, I was happy because I just didn't have have that fire because I was so sad. I wanted to know that at least I was seeking God. And I think the biggest thing is obviously his word gives us his promises, but praying continuously mm-hmm. and never stopping and having people that love you. My mother, Michelle, my father, you know, I'm so blessed to still have both of my parents alive and they have prayed me through this continuously. And so is Michelle. And then there's others that, that I know I'm forgetting having warriors like that. Karen, she's one having prayer warriors pray for you through this stuff is what gets us through those truly dark moments of when people give up. Exactly. It's just like that old analogy on the cartoon where you've got the devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other and the person's back and forth, left and right, trying to figure out which one to listen to. There's an old song by Casting Crowns that says, I choose to listen to the voice of truth because the voice of truth tells me a different story. It says, do not be afraid. And that's so important. What you feed will grow. You can't feed in to those thoughts from the little devil on your shoulder you can't feed into that you can't believe that because those are lies and so I think he definitely does use the major depressive disorder as a weapon against you as if it's not bad enough here he is coming in all guns and blazing but you could say even though this is my cross to bear you know Paul in the Bible called it a thorn in the flesh Paul wrote most of the New Testament, but yet he still had this thorn in the flesh. And the Bible doesn't say exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, but I feel like, I feel like that might be on purpose because it says, fill in whatever your thorn in the flesh is, because we all deal with different things. Chuck's thing might be depression. Someone else's might be anxiety. It doesn't make you less of a Christian less of a person it doesn't make you crazy because you struggle with these things it makes you human and I think the fact that Paul has this besetting thing and he asked God to remove it but even though he still had this thorn in the flesh he was still able to be effective we are still quoting I mean We have quoted him at least three or four times in this episode alone because he is still effective, even though he has whatever this illness or impediment or infirmity. Chuck, it is very, very remarkable that you have not relapsed in 18 years. You're definitely doing something right. I'm giving God all the glory and the credit, you know. I mean, and there's so many times, like I said, when you're in the midst of that battle and that the times that it hurts so bad and, and you think, where are you, Lord? Where are you, Lord? But you come through it. You see that he was there all along and he was there with mm-hmm. you and, and he saw you through and he's seen me through up into this point for some reason. And, and it might be just having this conversation tonight that somebody's going to get some help. And, and I know that you, both of you would agree with me that you're loved and that we care mm-hmm. and that we want you to seek out 
that help in, in, in any way you can and to know as Christian brothers and sisters that you're loved and you are cared for. And I pray for people that I don't even know that are suffering from this disease. I just pray for them. I don't even know who I'm praying for, but I just know that it's part of it and it's going to help. Yep, God knows. I've been fortunate that I haven't had to go back into that real dark place for for a while, I relapse every once in a while for a few days, but then God will pull me out again. And I'll just start that day and say, okay, Lord, I know you've got me today. And if it's a new medicine that I need to take, just point me in the right direction. Or if today's the day you heal me, I thank you for that. And I just can't say enough from the bottom of my heart that I understand. And and even if it's me again, you just want to reach out to through email, I will be glad to listen and be glad to help and seek out help for you wherever you're from. We'll find somebody to listen and to help. You know, Chuck, I've never met you before in person, but just hearing your story and hearing you share your heart, it reminds me of the scripture in Ephesians chapter five, verse eight, for you were once darkness and you've talked so much about the darkness that you felt come over you for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord live as children of light for light produces every kind of goodness and righteousness and truth. And that's what I feel like you're doing here. And what you're trying to do is, you know, that darkness, you were once in the darkness, you lived in the darkness, but now you are light in the Lord and you are able to take that story, take that mess and turn it into a message of the goodness and the righteousness and the truth of God and share that with others. And I think that's a beautiful way to live life. And you are one of those people who are light to the people who are still currently in the darkness. If you can save just one person, it's worth it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I agree. You know, all of this, all of this darkness, it's not bent for nothing. Right. Right. That's, and that's what I want. Once again, thank you, Chuck, for being with us. You have an incredible story. And I really believe, I truly believe that lives will be changed by hearing your story. And thank you guys for listening. Thank you for being with us. And we will be back in two weeks. So we'll see you then. See you then.